Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Care. It's 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Great pre owned inventory. All at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf, online at sunburymotors.com, and great deals to be had as well. Time now for our play-by-play call today and a joyless season for the Pirates. A fun moment. And a pitch. And a swing and a deep fly ball out to left toward the wall. And this one is gone right down the line. Jacob Starlings with a walk-off homer. And the Pirates sink the Cubs 3-2. Jacob Stallings, former State College Spike. It was a lot of fun when Jacob was here. Working behind the plate, his dad, Kevin Stallings, who for years was the head basketball coach at Vanderbilt and then was the basketball coach at Pitt. He was up here a lot, and we spent some time in the broadcast booth together. And... uh, Jacob has turned out to be a really nice major league catcher and has become a very good hitter. I'm happy for him, happy for the Stallings family, the nice people. All right. Baseball now. Besides, we're not going to talk about the Pirates. We will get into the Phillies here in a moment. But I want to bring in Bob Nightingale, USA Today. Also had a very thoughtful tweet about uh, Gail Sayers. Bob, welcome. Great to have you with us. No, thanks. Yeah, what an icon. Yeah, he, he's the most exciting player I've ever seen yeah. on football field. Yeah, he was unbelievable. Yeah, un- unbelievable. I mean, it, and I'm like you. I remember watching him play. I was, I was younger at the time, way younger. We all were. But <laughs> I looked at him like, man, this guy is something else. I never saw him run like that. Uh, before we get to the Major League Baseball part of it, you also put out something about uh, the Atlantic League. And the Atlantic League is, you know, when this is all said and done, I know they actually have talked to State College here at one point. doesn't mean they're going to go there. Uh, but they've always been the experimental league. Uh, it, it sounds like they've become a partner league now, according to what you're saying with Major League Baseball. Yeah, it's almost like they're, uh, you know, MLB's guinea pig, you know, to try different things and, and see what happens, uh, try the different rules and things like that. So, yeah, there's partner, and so it's almost like if baseball says, hey, let's try, you know, we say try with the electric strike zone, the uh, runner and second base, uh, you know, let's try it through them. So, you know, I'm sure they'll, I think they'll get the other, uh, some other independently too involved, uh, probably the one in uh, in, in Texas. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, so uh, it, it's, good, it's good news for independently teams because now they're, they've become uh, – it kind of incorporated. Uh, Sugarlands, I don't want to think about, and also uh, one in the uh, uh, St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah, yeah. It looks like yeah, yeah. They may end up being affiliated teams when it's done. Do you know anything? Of, uh, the negotiations restarted August twenty seventh. Pat O'Connor's now retired. Since is it that is there still like no like no real news about minor league and major league baseball? No, it sounds like everybody's counting on cutting out you know two minor league teams from their. Uh, 
some of your affiliations. And uh, but that's all. You know, still talking about you know 40, okay. 42 teams gone, but uh, certainly nothing's official. All right. So let's get to this particular season. The Dodgers clinched again. They're they're obviously going to be the favorite going into this. When you look at the Dodgers, Bob, what do you see that that has that gives them the ability to put this thing over the top finally? Well, they're certainly deep. Uh, you know, always had the talent, but very deep. And I think too, with the way the playoffs are set up, with no off days uh, in the division series or the uh, NLCS. It really helps them because that, now you can show off uh, your depth uh, without the off days. So I, I think we're it's going to hurt some teams. I think it's going to benefit the Dodgers. Uh, the bubble uh, for NLCS, ALCS, World Series. Uh, uh, have you seen the ballpark in Texas? I have not. Just opened yeah. up this year. I have not. Retractable yeah. roof. And, uh, yeah. I, you know, I've seen the outside of it, but I've not been inside. Yeah, I have, I, uh, they weren't quite finished with it when I did the Cotton Bowl. Uh, but I saw it. Um, no offense, but the old ballpark looked much nicer <laughs> from the outside. <laughs> Just a personal opinion. Uh, what, did you think, what did you think, A, of the bubble idea? And have they said to you how, what protocols you need to have to cover it? Yeah, well, no uh, protocols for the writers or, uh, you know, the uh, TV folks, uh, I don't know, I mean, broadcasters, broadcasters be let in. But no no protocols for us because we're not staying, we're not seeing the players anyway. We're not going okay. to the clubhouse or seeing them on the field. Uh, for the players, they all, you know, really, I think beginning today or yesterday, uh, they all have to go into uh, hotels. So even if you're home, uh, your home city, you got to be in a hotel. And, uh, you know, so that way you're protected for seven days. And then once these teams go to the, uh, start playing these games in the, in the bubbles, uh, same rules. You're not allowed to, uh, you know, leave the complex. Uh, family members have to be quarantined for seven days before they join you. Not allowed outside the property unless you want to go for a walk or something like that. Uh, no stopping at the hotel, restaurant, or bar. So very, very strict. But hey, it's been it's been working for baseball. It has been working for baseball. They're going to make it to the playoffs when this is all said and and done. Uh, it's a different year, obviously. What do you think of the expanded playoff? Was it the right thing to do in terms of the number of teams they put in? It was the right, uh, yeah, right call for this year. The only reason I say it because it's so skewed. I mean, uh, who knows how strong each division is? But it wasn't going to be fair for just a uh, two wild card teams that don't even play the same schedule right. to stop it there. This way, hey, there's going to be some teams that don't belong that are in. Uh, but I don't think there's a team that should be in that's left out. Uh, everybody had a great chance, and if you don't make, you know, easiest year in the world to make the playoffs in baseball history. So I, I think it makes sense. The only thing that's going to hurt with the playoff format is you don't have, you know, very little advantage to win your uh, to win the division. I mean, you have home field, but with no fans, and then it's all out the window. So I'm sure people go crazy if the Dodgers or the Yankees get knocked off the first round. Because everything is so compressed with this, there will be a lot of pressure on bullpens. In your opinion, who has a quality bullpen in this particular year? Well, certainly the uh, you know teams like the uh, Cincinnati Reds. You know when they get picked up, Archie Bradley, the yeah. with Mary Garrett uh, is a uh, you know they got a nice bullpen. Uh, Williams and Hader, of course, are lights out uh, for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, you know the Dodgers have some depth, but they're a little shaky at that back end. Uh, and of course, the Yankees, you know, always always have a great bullpen, yeah. and their bullpen's probably as good as anybody. And uh, you know, Tampa Bay, you don't know; they just mix and match. I think they'd use about 
nine or ten different guys get saves this year. Yeah, uh, yeah, that's because they have a forty man pitching staff. Uh, right, right. <laughs> I love exactly. I, I mean, back back a year ago, aka the old days, they had that Durham Tampa Bay, that Durham St. Petersburg shuttle was on all the time. It's like every five days they change somebody up. Uh, the uh, the Philadelphia Phillies. We know the bullpen's been lousy uh, for them. Anything else that's that's derailed them from being better than maybe some fans in Philadelphia think they should be? You know, nothing jumps out, but yeah, it just doesn't seem like they uh, click. I mean, kind of the same thing last year. It seemed like they're you know getting some nice individual performances. Obviously, Harper Harper's hit a uh, nose dive here the last month. Right. Uh, got a feeling he's hurt a lot more than uh, people think for him to be playing this uh, or hitting this poorly, uh, even having trouble getting balls in the outfield. But, yeah, it's weird. Just so, something is missing in that clubhouse. I think some leadership, something. But, yeah, they shouldn't, uh, particularly that division. I mean, where, you know, except for the Braves, the Braves aren't a you know, powerful team by any means. Uh, you know, there's really not a, a quality team in there. Uh, you know, there's a very good chance that the Marlins make the playoffs with, with, with the losing record. I mean, they're trying to give it to Philadelphia, and they won't take it. Yeah, in fact, uh, you retweeted the Jason Stark tweet. Just this month, the hashtag Marlins have lost games by 20 runs, 15 runs, 11 runs, and 10 runs. And they're going to make the playoffs. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. Oh, it's unbelievable. And Manning is going to win manager of the year in the National League. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly right. Uh, okay, uh, so uh, the Cleveland Indians. When you look at the American League, a lot of people talked about Tampa Bay, a little bit about Oakland, a lot about the Yankees, obviously. How dangerous is Cleveland? Uh, very dangerous. I mean, nobody wants to play them first round. It's like, yeah. you know, some of these cases, it's like, do you really want to win the division and have to face the, uh, you know, face them? I mean, if I'm the Minnesota Twins or Chicago White Sox, that's the last team I want to face. I'd rather face anybody else than the Cleveland Indians. Just when you're talking about throwing, uh, you know, Bieber at you in game one and you got, you know, Carrasco, uh, uh, in those guys, uh, it's, it's it's tough. Uh, I, I think they're very dangerous. Now they can't, you know, they can't hit, but they can sure, uh, you know, they can sure pitch. And uh, in a short series, they're capable of doing doing a lot of damage there. I think for me, two fun stories this year, and it may not be in your category, but two fun stories to me this year have been the White Sox, who uh, have. Uh, been able to make some savvy trades and rebuild themselves, and the San Diego Padres. What do you think of those two teams, Bob? Yeah, they're almost mirror images of each other. Both have a lot of fun. You're absolutely right. Uh, be fun if they uh, <laughs> if they met in the in the World Series. But yeah, uh, both teams kind of a year ahead of schedule, particularly the White Sox. Uh, you know, I, I thought the White Sox would be a, a real force a year from now, but not this year. I didn't think they had a chance for division series or division title, particularly with that pitching. And, uh, yeah, they've really come through. Uh, to, my, uh, to me, Abreu is the MVP. I mean, he just kept that team together besides putting up monster numbers. Tim Anderson, you know, I didn't think he'd uh, have this kind of year. I, I wasn't sure last year was a fluke or not. In the Padres, saying he, that's why they gave Manny Machado $300 million uh, you know, Tatis, and he's at the wall lately. But just, a, yeah, a solid. Both teams have a lot of fun playing the game and a lot of enthusiasm. Yeah, there's no, there's no question. I think they're, they're fun teams to watch. What about the Oakland A's? Uh, they ended up clinching the American League West. Uh, they continue to be a great story year in and year out. 
what is it about how he put you know, we we know about the money ball thing and the whole deal, but what are the key elements for him that have allowed them to put pieces together that make them competitive? Yeah, I mean, just a lot of quality depth. You know, it's not like a team full of superstars. You know, they do have star players, you know, with Marcus Simeon at, you know, at short and Chapman, who's out for the year, unfortunately, at that third base and Matt Olson at first. But, yeah, and then just like, they got strikeout pitchers. Uh, they have good defense. And, uh, you know, they got the most underrated managers in the game. I mean, Bob Melvin is unbelievable. Uh, I, think he's a, I think he's a Hall of Fame manager. But just a uh, – he really gets these guys to play year in and year out. Uh, does, does a fabulous job. Yeah, they were my pick to uh, be in the World Series. I mean, my original pick back in uh, you know February yep. was Do- Dodgers over Oakland. You know, rematch of uh, '88 and you know same result. But uh, you know, I think Oakland can still get there. But I think on paper right now, you know, in America League, Tampa's probably the team to beat on, on paper in America League. Which then brings me to Kevin Cash. What do you think of the job he has done down there? Yeah, very good job. I mean, a lot of uh, front office uh, interference. I mean, they do a lot of things there, help out with the lineup and stuff like that. But, yeah, he, he does a uh, tremendous job. Very, very well liked by the players. Uh, you know, has been a, a perfect fit with a young team like that. So, yeah, out, outstanding job. And, uh, and then, you know, hey, who knows if they had kept a uh, – they had not made that trade and still had Pham there in the uh, center fielder. Yeah. You know, there might be a better team. Yeah. Right. No, agreed. What about the uh, San Francisco Giants? Allegedly rebuilding, as you pointed out earlier today, yet they're right in the thick of this thing. Why? You know, the veterans, I think they have so much pride. And some of those guys, uh, you know, Longoria, people thought, okay, he's washed up. He's played very well. Brandon Crawford has played well. Uh, Belt has, has bounced back. This is without Posey, and of course Sandoval's gone now, and uh, Hunter Pence is gone. And a lot of those young guys, uh, you know, just kind of stepped up and had enthusiasm. Guys like Mike Yastrzemski, uh, Alex Dickerson has played well for them. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, just a, a fun team. I mean, they're as the biggest surprise as anybody. You know, probably, uh, you know, I think the biggest surprise is probably. You know, the Marlins and the Giants. Yeah, and by the way, for fans around here, Alex Dickerson began his pro career here in State College uh, when he was drafted by the Cardinals. Uh, they want to put, uh, they want to open the door f- for fans, limited, to be at the uh, NLCS, the World Series, in Texas. Uh, how intrigued are you by that possibility? Yeah, very intrigued. I mean, I think it's happening. The Texas governor uh, wants it to happen. I think that, you know, all that do is put the tickets on sale. Uh, I think it's fun to see fans back in. I mean, we see it in small doses in football. Uh, you know, just to see fans have fun again. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, the players miss it. It's a, uh, been very strange uh, without that. You, have the, you know, the fake crowd noise and everything else, which doesn't you know, sound bad when you're in a stadium or certainly not watching TV. But it's not the same without watching people's uh, you know, faces and stuff like that. I'm not sure how it would be because it's a neutral site. Uh, you know, the only play, you know, if the Astros made the World Series, you know, they'd be closest to a home field. But, you know, still Houston is not Arlington. I mean, it's Arlington, not Houston. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that would be, that'd be interesting to see if fans, if they have the Dodgers and A's, if they actually have fans flying for it. It is one final question, Bob, and that deals with obviously the roller coaster to get here. Uh, they had to shut it down like everybody in March. Then there was the contentious negotiations. Then they started playing, and then there was the Marlins deal, the Cardinals deal. How much credit does Major League Baseball, its players, 
and everybody associated with it, how much credit should they get for getting it to this point? I think tremendous credit. I mean, I heard people in spring training, you know, the 2.0 saying, hey, 20% chance of getting through spring training, 0% chance of getting it done. But they stuck their gun and said, let's, let's give this thing a try. And to the, uh, you know, hey, to the player's credit, they, you know, follow protocols. Uh, you know, I, I think in both instances, it was kind of a, a fluke thing. It showed how fast the virus can travel and showed you how scary it can be. Uh, but, yeah, to only have, I think, one positive test now in the last 35 days, you know, nothing in the last three weeks, uh, huge credit. And I, and I do believe because of uh, the roller coaster, as you mentioned, when you win the World Series, I think, you, I think you'll be remembered as fondly as any other uh, season, if, if not even more so, because you had to be so mentally tough and emotionally tough uh, to survive this. And I think what they did was I think they set the tone for a lot of other leagues trying to play outdoors. I mean, I give them a lot of credit because I think in, in the end, I think they set a tone. So, I think so, too. I mean, look at the NFL. I don't, I don't think they've had a uh, positive test, no. right? Or at least, no. Yeah, which is, which is stunning. So maybe, you know, the NFL guys watch baseball and say, hey, if they can do it, we can do it. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Bob, it's always a pleasure. It's always a lot of fun talking baseball with, with somebody who knows it like you do. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. Take care of yourself. All right, final half hour, we're going to depress the audience, going from the positivity of a conversation with Bob Nightingale of USA Today to Daniel Gallen discussing the Eagles. (laughs) (sighs) And now no Jalen Rager for five weeks, at least. Hey, you drafted him. Hey, I wasn't wasn't for the draft pick. I played this one Hey, look, I've been impressed with uh, Jalen Hurts. Uh, all right, we'll come back. All three with, plays as the decoy. With, with more in a moment. <sighs> Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. When it comes to car buying, there's the other guy's way, and then there's the SMC way. The other guys force you into a vehicle you really don't want. The Subway Motors way lets you take the time you need to browse, ask questions, and take the test drive and think on it. For over 100 years, the Merth family and all their employees have made your experience the most pleasant one you'll ever have. The other guys won't offer you the best price for your trade, no matter how much they say they will. The SMC way is their promise to provide you with the most money the market shows your vehicle's worth. The SMC way is to offer you all applicable factory rebates on new vehicles and generous discounts. Looking for a pre-owned vehicle? The SMC Way checks each vehicle in a 200-mile radius to determine the lowest price, then beat it. It's the lowest price promise, just part of the SMC Way. The choice is up to you. The other guy's way or the SMC Way. The SMC Way wins every time. Sunbury Motors Company in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and at sunburymotors.com. Selling more cars and satisfying more customers for over 100 years. Great to have you with us. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. The uh, Nuggets beat the Lakers last night. Uh, it's now two games to one, and the Nuggets are probably feeling like they should be up 2-1, but a great shot by Anthony Davis in game two is the difference right now. It's made it, uh, again, 2-1 in favor of the Nuggets. Believe it or not, for the first time, there's actually concern about LeBron James. He's 35 years old. And 
something that's been incredible about LeBron James is that it just seems he's he, he's never fatigued. But at 35, he needs more breaks than ever. And here's what's really concerning for the Lakers. In the playoffs, in the first quarter of games, he is shooting 64%. In the second quarter of games, he is shooting about 67%. Here's the problem. When he gets to the third quarter, he's shooting 44%. And when he gets to the fourth quarter, he's shooting 40%. That is a problem. Because the Lakers, when LeBron was on the floor and he played 37 minutes last night, were plus two. They were minus 11 when he was off the floor. And that's been typical. When he's been off the floor, the Lakers have not been able They don't close gaps. It's just a question of holding teams off so that he gets back in the game. That is an issue for them right now. Believe it or not. Don't usually talk about the NBA, but we are seeing the incredible run of LeBron James for the first time ever where you look at it and go, has Father Time caught up with him? In a small way, not a major way, but a small way. He's playing older. Taking your calls at 800-795-9565. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. Great new product lines. Ford, Lincoln, Kia, Hyundai. Well, pre-owned inventory may be what you prefer or maybe what your budget prefers. Well, they've got a great selection of pre-owned inventory. Great deals to be had as well. Fabulous service department all at Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf and online at sunburymotors.com. All right, now we're going to... Matt tells everybody he's allegedly turning the corner on this 0-2 Titanic. I am. Well, now we'll take you down memory lane. We'll bring in Daniel Gallon from NBC Philadelphia. Daniel, welcome back. Great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me this afternoon. So let's start with Carson Wentz. (laughs) Whenever you're going to start with a team that is... Not exactly going uh, great guns at the moment. You start with the quarterback. So what are you seeing with him, if anything? Yeah, I mean, that's the $128 million question uh, with your quarterback when he's not playing well. That was bitter. That was bitter. You know, know, they paid him a lot of money uh, to be one of the top quarterbacks uh, in the NFL. Sure. Um, And he's not playing like that right now. Um, And it's been different things uh, both weeks. I mean, last week uh, against Washington in week one, he gets sacked eight times. I think he got hit 14 times. Right. Uh, You know, he's constantly on the run. Um, And, you know, you 
can't you know really do much when you're in those circumstances. Right. Um, then you you turn around to this week. Um, I think no sacks. Uh, I think three quarterback hits. Um, and still, you know, making a couple mistakes. Um, you know, not hitting guys that are open. Um, it's just kind of it's been kind of baffling. Um, you know, honestly. Um, you know, we saw Wentz down the stretch last year. He really picked up the team uh, in December to carry them to that uh, division title. Um, and you thought that he'd carry that over um, into this year. And he did it for, I think, 28 minutes uh, last week before um, he threw the interception late to set up Washington's first score. Right. Um, and he just hasn't really gotten back on track. All right. Uh, normally, obviously, quarterbacks won't be perfect as they play, but they can get a lot of help um, from wide receivers who can make a couple of tough catches for them. How far behind is Philadelphia in the wide receiver game compared to some other teams in this league? Yeah, that was a pretty interesting uh, storyline um, this offseason. You saw a bunch of teams that have um, good young quarterbacks go out and get guys help uh, you know the Bills brought in Stephon Diggs yeah. uh, the, the Cardinals um, bring in DeAndre Hopkins um, you know and the Eagles elected to you know you bring back uh, Deshaun Jackson um, who's healthy uh, and you know looks looks good um, you know he looks like himself mm-hmm. um, you know and they elected to, to go in the draft um, and Jalen Rager uh, that the first round pick um, you know, he looks as advertised. Um, you know, he had the 55-yard catch last week, mm-hmm. um, but he's explosive. You can see his athleticism, um, and, you know, he looks a part of the first-round pick. Um, and then the two day three guys, John Hightower and Quez Watkins, uh, Watkins is on IR, um, and then Hightower barely played um, last week after – or barely played this week uh, after a pretty rough debut. Um, last week and you know those are seed guys and with day three picks that's kind of you know he's a lottery ticket you know if one of those guys um, you know pans out uh, and is an above average contributor I mean you you basically won um, so the Eagles elected to go go through the draft um, and you know bring back some of the same guys like J.J. Ortega Whiteside like Greg Ward like Deshaun um, Alshon Jeffrey and you know, should be back within the next three weeks based on the, the roster decision they made with him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, it's not – I wouldn't call it the worst wide receiver core um, in the NFL, but, you know, it you don't feel like there's the one guy you can go to when you need to make a play right now. Well, not exactly inspiring. How about that? Um, let's see. <laughs> uh, so now let's get to the defense. Uh very little talk when you get to talk shows and analysis talks about playing your defense to your offense and your offense to the defense. So let's get to that for a second. Uh, is the Eagles defense just not playing well because they're not playing well, or is there so much pressure on them because the offense isn't playing well? Um, I think it has to do a little more with um, – you know, they're not necessarily playing well. Um, Jim Schwartz said yesterday that he had a, he had the wrong game plan uh, for the Rams on Sunday, which, 
you know, it's kind of an alarming thing to hear from a defensive coordinator uh, with his reputation. But, now, you know, also, but, but you know, Dan, let, let me give him credit where credit's due. At least he was direct yeah. and honest about it. I mean, a lot of people just would have covered it up, you know, and say, well, yeah, this, 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 this. He didn't make any excuses. I, give him, I at least give him credit. I'll give him credit for the game plan, but I give him credit for admitting it. How about that? Yeah, that, that was going to be the second second part of my point, is that, you know, it's very refreshing um, to hear that, and I think it kind of, um, you know, it illuminated things a little bit more um, on what went wrong. But I think that the number one place you look uh, is that defensive line. Uh, Fletcher Cox, Malik Jackson, and Javon Hargrave are all making uh, a lot of money. Yes, um, Jackson looked really good in week one. Cox hasn't really flashed. Um, on the edge, you know, Derek Barnett came back um, after missing week one. He's a former first-round pick. Um, I mean, Brandon Graham is consistent. Um, you know, I think that he's the one guy where you kind of know uh, week in and week out what you're going to get from him. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, above average play. You know, maybe a couple sacks, but at least solid play against the run. Um, but I think with the defense, you know, I think a lot of people will look at the – you know, some of the mistakes that the linebackers made and some of the defensive backs getting beat uh, against the Rams. But it just really starts up front, especially with a quarterback like Goff, um, who, if you can pressure him, he'll make mistakes. And the defensive line wasn't getting that done on Sunday. Uh, would the Eagles be a team that misses its crowd? Yeah, I mean, I go back and forth on that type of thing. Um you know, Lane Johnson said yesterday that it was weird um, being out there without the crowd. Um, I think Doug Peterson told NBC that, you know, he missed the crowd and, and he thought it was pretty different. Um, but one thing that a lot of players have said is that, um, you know, once the game actually starts and once you're actually playing, um, you don't really notice it. Uh, because even when there is a crowd, it's part of the job to tune it out um, and focus on, on what is happening. But, yeah, I mean, the link has a reputation uh, as a really tough place to play. Um, they won 7 of 8 there in 2017 during the Super Bowl run, and they have a really good record under Doug Peterson playing there. But, I mean, over the last two seasons, they've had some pretty tough losses at home. Um so, you know, I think that home field advantage can be a little overrated sometimes. I personally think it has to do more with, you know, the actual traveling and, you know, being in different, being in a different environment than necessarily the environment itself. Right. Okay, so Cincinnati. Uh, when the Bengals played the Browns last Thursday night, uh, I came on the show Friday and said, you know, in watching that game, we know the Bengals have been down and out for a while. We know the Browns have been down and out, uh, except for one year, ever since they returned in 99. But I felt like Baker Mayfield, for all the criticism, gives the Browns a fighting chance. And Joe Burrow now gives, in watching him, it looks like he's the kind of guy that gives the Bengals a fighting chance. How do you view this game? Yeah, I think that it's going to be it's going to be close. Um, you know, I think that... When you look at the schedule uh, and you see that they're going to get the Bengals, uh, a team that was really bad last year, uh, and you see that it's early in the season, you, that's a good thing, you know, because maybe, you know, if they were playing week 12, week 13, Joe Burrow might have more figured out. The Bengals might have more figured out. Right. Uh, but watching them Thursday night, I was, they seemed a little bit further along um, than I thought they might be. 
there's still some areas uh, on that team that are not good. Right, exactly. Um, That's why they won one game last year. <laughs> yeah, and but you know, having Burrow back there, it you know, it's that whole thing where as soon as you find the quarterback, it can really change things, you know, for your whole team. Uh, and I think that Burrow kind of does that. You know, I I don't really know if having him throw the ball 61 times per game is is, is the right way uh, to win. Um, but you know, I think the last time I checked, the the Eagles were favored by about a touchdown. And, mm-hmm. You know, I think that I think it's going to be a touchdown game or less. Um, you know, if the Eagles win. Daniel, absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for your time. Appreciate the uh, candid analysis. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Was it as candid as your analysis? Yeah, I, I basically agree with everything, but I'll, I'll go further to say that, yeah, I, I think they do miss the crowd at the link. I mean, Doug Peterson flat out said to NBC10, which Daniel alluded to, that I hate it without having the fans there. The Eagles have been really, really solid at home under Doug Peterson. So I, I think oh. that I think that really is a big factor, not having the crowd there, and it's something that they have to adjust to. I think it's something they're all going to have to adjust to. And actually, right. really, when you think about this, Steve, because Doug Peterson in his Monday presser used a lot of the excuses of how unusual this offseason's been. So it's it seemed like the Eagles were doing all right, but really they didn't do okay with this unusual offseason and all the unusual circumstances. They're not handling it that well, and it's showing their play. Yeah. It also has led to a fair amount of bitterness. All right, we'll come back with more in a moment. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors on News Radio 1070 WKOK. All right, great to have you with us. Brought to you by Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors, Key Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. And online at sunburymotors.com. Our high school football roundtable tomorrow, Sands, the award-winning suit. who's just it's kind of snobbish, don't you think? It is what it is. It is what it is. Well, we'll have the chief on. Chief's terrific. And Greg Wetzel will be on. And yeah, we'll... We got yeah, Zach, so, too, for Sealands Grove. Zach showers on Sealands Grove. But uh, no suit. Nope. We'll have to see you next week, maybe. Let me guess. The next touchdown that he, they score, he's in. <laughs> Nothing would surprise me at this point. Oh man. So all right. Um we mentioned the Big Ten ACC challenge. Looks like it will happen. It'll be December eight nine in all likelihood. The Mid American Conference votes on playing football on Friday. Looks like an eight game season is what they're aiming at. The uh, Pac-12 and the Mountain West evidently are going to vote on Thursday about their seasons. 
Mountain West would like to start on the weekend of October 24th, like the Big Ten. But we don't know when the Pac-12 wants to start, if they were to vote yes. I don't know. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, well, well, it's it, it it's amazing the passion for college football in the SEC and the Big Ten is you know, different countries. Parts of the country have different passions. Out West, it's not as if the people running Pac-12 programs are passionate. They are. But how passionate are the fans? Remember that story I did a few years ago about student no-shows? How even Georgia, for example, was like 27% student no-shows. You know, they get the tickets but don't go. Well, the two worst were Arizona and Arizona State. They were up between 45 and 50% of student no-shows a few years ago. And that's um, amazing. And that's why when you you hear about, well, they might do it, they might not. Part of the ability to do this, you have to have passion to do it. And I'm not so sure they do. Now, also the circumstances out there are a bit different. California certainly struggled with COVID. There's no getting around it. I mean, it's a huge population. But it's not all of California. Remember when we had on the show, we had Dieter Kurtenbach on, who works in Northern California, and we've had um, – and he was talking about – I know with Dieter, he's talking about – he says, well, up here it hasn't been that bad. It's all down in Los Angeles County. And that's that, – I mean, that's – you know, that's a huge population center, L.A. County. Gigantic population center. But that's where most of their problems have come from. The rest of the state has, you know, they'll tell you the rest of the state, they, they're pretty comfortable. Not you're cautious, but feel okay about what's going on. And, you know, Tony Knob has been somebody else who said, hey, look, L.A. area, it's like not great. He said, rest of the state, not bad. Okay. But you have four Pac-12 programs in California, two in Arizona, two in Oregon, two in Washington, and then there's Colorado, Utah. But the passion is different there for it. And, it, and as I pointed out before, people say, well, it's not quite the same caliber. I don't. I enjoy watching Pac-12 football, and I enjoy watching Mountain West football because of the nature of what I do. I either have a game on the road, and depends on what time, and then you get back, or even at home, especially if it's like a three thirty game or whatever. Usually, that late game is like is usually the game I get to see. So I've liked watching late-night Pac-12 football. I like watching late-night Mountain West football because that's when I can get a beverage, sit down, and and watch it because that's the game I get to see. But 
the passion for it out there is a little bit different than it is in the Big Ten and especially in the SEC. All right, the uh, the Phillies have to somehow fight their way back in this thing. Wow. They are really slumping. Really slumping. And the Eagle, we're going to... Uh, are there any positive writers that we're going to have about the Eagles this week? Like somebody to get you kind of out of your doldrums here? Well, I mentioned earlier with Ruben Frank that piece he had on Donovan McNabb. And comparing Wentz and how they had yeah. similar bad starts after mm. their first two games, McNabb and 3 Eagles ended up going to the NFC Championship game that year. Both were in their fifth yeah. year. That's pretty much the only thing that's helped me with this. And I agree with Daniel in the fact that I think it's going to be – it's still going to be a close game if the Eagles were to win this. You're playing Cincinnati. You do know that, hey, right? I get it. I get it. I think I think you you will see the Eagles' offense start to look maybe a little bit better, basically by going through the run game. I think they're going to stick with that and to open everything else up to get Wentz more comfortable. Miles Sanders looked pretty good, other than the fumble he had last week, almost had 100 yards rushing. So I think you're going to see them do that. But the defense, I don't know what you're going to get. Because, yeah, Joe Burrow is off to a good start, and he's st- but he's still rookie quarterback. But at the same time, Joe Mixon's off to a good start. He still has A.J. Green. Tyler Boyd's off to a good start. I can see those three players being a problem for the Eagles. This game is not a gimme. That's, that really is a sad commentary. You're playing the Bengals. All right. Um, and the Eagles are 0-2. Both teams are 0-2. There you go. Phillies and Nationals, 6.05 this evening. Airtime, 5.30 on Eagle 107. Again, as I pointed out before, the Bengals are the first team I've ever seen that when the opposing team is kneeling down to end the game, they actually gain yardage. It's- Kind of remarkable, actually. 